Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Anthony. Pastor Prince, as you heard during the prayer, is uh, on vacation, visiting his sons and their family in, in uh, Kansas. And this morning, Pastor Livengood was supposed to preach, but as you also heard, his father's suffering a very serious, serious illness, and he spent the week with, with his family. And uh, we need to pray for Pastor Livengood's father. He's a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. His name is Tim Livengood. So I guess that means today that I'm a fill-in for the fill-in. <laughs> hey, hey, buddy. You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Aren't you a Jew? Uh, yeah, I'm a Levite, a descendant of Aaron. Well, why won't you help this Jewish brother? Buddy, you must not be from around these. The way of the blood, this road. Really? And, and I don't want to end up like him. <laughs> Besides that, I've got toe too, so. Well, well, wait a second. If you're a Levite, aren't you supposed to be a helper to the priest? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was helping in Jerusalem today at the temple uh, with the high priest. You might have seen him. He probably passed through here a little bit ago. Yeah. What a great guy. He knows the law, and um, he knows all the right things to say and do. He's a great guy. Well, if you aren't going to help him, I guess you just leave. Well, okay, I got a bar to go to anyways. Good luck. Okay. Well, I think we'll stop the story there, and I'll play the Good Samaritan and help the poor guy up that got beat by those two big thugs that came through. And uh, Jesus, what law say? The Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. He then used the example of the highest legal authority in the Jewish system, the priests and the Levites. All Jewish priests are Levites. But all Levites are not priests. The Levites are descendant of Levi, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. And today it's these two, the priest and the Levite, in this story that I want to focus on. I believe Jesus was trying to warn the law expert, as well as us today, of the dangers in being religious and still missing the kingdom. Now the question I believe that confronts us is, what spirit did this priest and Levite exhibit that continues to live on today in Christ followers that are right around us? Now these individuals were examples of why we as Christ followers sometimes avoid going out of our way to help our fellow man. Notice the spirit in which they served. The first spirit was the spirit of rule-keeping. Certainly, any church, any religious organization, any, any organization for that matter has a set of rules, if you would, that give guidance on how to live life. But I have found that we can be perfect rule-keepers and still miss heaven and what God has for us in the here and now. 
I remember when I first came back to the Lord many years ago, I was attending church. I knew what the rules were, and I found them almost unattainable. As hard as I would, I tried to keep the rules, but they just became too hard. They seemed like a maximum out there that were unattainable. But one day, something happened in my life, and, and I came to the end of myself and my rule-keeping frustration. And I asked God to come into my life, not just as Savior, but as Lord, and to give me victory over that sin that still was ruling within my life. Do you know what happened that day? When I surrendered all of myself to God and invited him not just to save me, as this expert in the law was asking, but to cleanse me and infill me and empower me with his Holy Spirit, that's exactly what he did. God's love became so real in my life that the rules no longer were a problem. I used to see what rule I could break and get away with. Now I wanted to see how I could please God. The rules no longer were a maximum for my life, but now the love of God made me a brand new person that wanted to please Him. It says over in the book of 2 Corinthians, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died in our old, to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive the new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Some would say it's our duty to serve God. But I would propose to you today, it is our divine privilege to live for and to serve the living God. Not for what we can get out of it, but because of what he has already done for us. If God never does another thing for Steve Anthony, he's already done more for me than I deserve. When he wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life, I did not deserve that. And there's only thing I can do with every day of my life and every breath of my life is to serve him. Listen to the next verse in 2 Corinthians. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Glory. Hallelujah. I firmly believe that the biggest problem in churches today is not people breaking the rules, but they have not made God the ruler of their life. The priests and the Levites had the spirit of rule-keeping, but they also had the spirit of comfort and safety. Serving Christ can be a dangerous business. In the USA, we often send people on mission teams to foreign lands, some of them, and I know we always pray, Lord, bring them back safely. When we should be praying, Lord, help them to 
accomplish the mission that you have called them to do. In Philippians, it says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. In our country, we do not know what it means to suffer for Christ. Some think if you're suffering for Christ, it means if the pastor goes past noon and you can't get to the restaurant before the Baptist. Some would say suffering for Christ is when you come to church and somebody else is sitting in your pew. Really suffering for Christ is when John Gildner calls you and asks you to teach a Sunday school class or serve on a committee. You really suffer for Christ when they ask you to give 10% of your income to the Lord. Friends, I want to tell you, we are pampered in this country. There are people all over this world today that are giving their lives in the cause of Jesus Christ, and they are glad to do so. We need to give our life in service to Christ. I believe that John the Baptist doesn't regret giving up his life for Jesus Christ. I believe if we could talk to Stephen when they were stoning him, he'd say, I was glad to give my life for Jesus Christ. I think when they threw Daniel into the lion's den because he wouldn't quit praying, he, he would say, I'm glad to offer my life for Christ if that's what it takes. The three Hebrew children that went into the fiery furnace, they didn't know that they were going to come out alive. They said, we're glad to suffer for God. If we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, it's going to involve risk-taking. It's going to involve service. Loving our neighbor can be messy business, but it's God's business. About 12 years ago, Marilyn and I made a trip to uh, Germany. One of the places we visited was the concentration camp at Dachau. Dachau was the first concentration camp the Germans Nazis had. And over the next number of years in that concentration camps and others across Austria and Poland and, and Germany, over six million Jews and people thought to be less desirable were gassed and beaten and shot and killed. The people in the communities around them acted like nothing was happening. When all the time, people in the shadow of their very homes were dying because they stood by and did nothing. I would have hoped that I would have not been one of those. That even if it cost our lives, we would have stood up. You say the Holocaust was a terrible thing, but in our very own country, since 1973, over 50 million babies have been aborted their lives snuffed out. And you say, what can I do? Well, we can pray, number one. We, can, we have some petitions in the back for the, what's called the heartbeat bill that would help change legislation that if a heartbeat can be detected, that, uh, that uh, uh, they would not be able to abort the baby. And I 
would encourage you to stop by and sign the petition. They've got extra petitions. Take them. Go around your, your family and friends and get them to sign. We can do something. We can't stand by and do nothing. This is God's work. You heard us talk about and pray about the convoy of hope. We're going to, in a few weeks, I think three weeks from yesterday, we're going to be down in Flint rubbing shoulders with people that have have much less than we do. And I've had the privilege of being down there and praying with those. I want to tell you, I came back, I don't know if I was a blessing to them, but they were a blessing to me. And we can, we can distribute food at his ministry. We can do something. We just need to lift up our eyes and look on the field. Jesus said they're white already. To... Let's get out of our comfort zone and do something for God. Then I see the final spirit was the spirit of superiority. Several years ago, Marilyn and I, uh, uh, when I was superintendent, the advisory board uh, offered us a sabbatical, and so we went to Florida. We got up on Sunday morning, and Marilyn said, where are we going to go to church? Well, I wanted to see how other churches did it, other than Nazarene Church. So there was a pretty good-sized church in the community where we were staying, and I said, let's go to that church. We parked our car, and I, you know, I didn't wear a suit and tie. I think I was in Florida, so I had on a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) Nobody knew me there. And when we went to the front door of the church, we were greeted by a sign that said, Out of respect for God's house. No cutoffs or flip-flops allowed. Now, I've got to tell you, I've never worn cutoffs or flip-flops to a Sunday service. Probably never will. But I was offended. I thought, what if somebody comes in Florida? A lot of people, that's all they have. And they wanted to come and hear about Jesus. So we went in and sat down anyway. Halfway through the message, I'm looking in my Bible, and the pastor started insulting the version of the Bible I was using. Because it wasn't the King James Version, you know, the version that Jesus used. (laughs) So I was really offended. And then he gave an invitation to receive Christ as Savior. I got to tell you, if I was a sinner, I wouldn't have gone to that altar. And nobody else did either. Then he said those magic words that pastors love to say. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. He said, if you know Jesus as your Savior, raise your hand. I'm over there, I go. Well, I'm a minister, so I felt the closing eyes and bowing head didn't apply to me. (laughs) So I started looking around. I looked over here, hands were up. 
I looked over here and Marilyn sat next to me like this. <laughs> Service ended, we went out, got in the car, we're driving back to our place we were staying. I said, Marilyn, I said, uh, I happened to be looking around when our eyes were supposed to be shut. And I noticed you didn't have your hand up. Is there something we need to talk about? He said, uh, she said, it's none of his business. <laughs> you see, we can, we can be so superior in our attitude that we turn people off to Christ. How should we be? We should be like Christ who was with God. He is God. But he became nothing. He became as man. He walked among us. He lived among us. And not only that, he not only taught us, but the very God of the universe died for us so that we might not spend eternity in hell, but have a place in heaven. Aren't you glad of that today? That's the type of neighbor we need to be. It would be easy to sit back and see all of the crime, all of the homelessness, all of the poverty and addiction that surrounds us. And it would be easy to have a better than thou attitude. But if there's anything the priest and the Levite teach us is that God cares about the down and out. Jesus himself illustrated our need to reach out to those in need when he told the story of what it would be like in that final judgment. It says in Matthew 25, Then the king shall say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, and sisters, you were doing it to me. You say, Pastor Anthony, I thought we were saved by grace. You're talking about social gospel. Which is it? My answer is yes. It's not one or the other, it's both. If we are saved by grace, these are the things that God will compel us to do, and we should do them. I had only been superintendent of the Eastern Michigan District back in 1992 for a few months. When I received a call from a man that um, 
had pastored on the district with us. He was a friend of mine. And he said, uh, Steve, have you ever eaten at Angelo's Coney Island? I said, no, I haven't. And uh, he said, well, I'd like to take you to lunch there. So we set a date, met at Angelo's. It's closed now. And I had my first real Flint Coney Island. We were finishing up our lunch, and he said, now, Steve, he says, uh, you may think I just invited you to come to lunch, but um, I really have something I want to ask you. I said, what's that? He said, I was raised in this neighborhood uh, here on the east side. My family was didn't have much, and one of the churches helped us out quite often. And I've had a burden to start a mission here in the east side. And he said, I've asked the last couple superintendents if I could do that, and they told me no. And he said, so I wanted to ask you today if I could start a mission down here. And I started to say something. He said, now, wait a second. Before you say anything, I want you to know whatever you tell me, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not going to tell you no. He said, good, because I've already rented a building. And, uh, and, and I'm going to reach out to these people. I said, well, let's go look at the building. It was a terrible building, awful building. And I said, well, let's see if we can get some pastors together. Maybe we can get some of our congregations to help rehab it and set it up the way you want it. And uh, so I took the pastors of the Flint area out to lunch, and that was back in the day when we, during the week, dressed like this. Weren't we pretty? <laughs> and so here's a bunch of pastors in suit and tie down on the sidewalks of the east side, and along comes a uh, what I affectionately called her a bag lady. She had one of those little carts, you know, and pulling all her earthly possessions along in the cart. And I'm standing out on the sidewalk talking to this man, and she comes by and she says, what are you men doing here? I said, oh, I didn't want to explain to her, go through the whole story. I said, we're just going to start a church right here. She said, a church? A church? Why would you start a church there? Which was my thought exactly. <laughs> and then she said, when there's one for sale right down the street. I looked at him and he looked at me. We went down the street and sure enough, in one of the windows, a little for sale sign. We followed up on it and we ended up buying that church and that's where the East Side Mission main building, first building, they now have six buildings, all because one person said, this is what God's told me to do. It's been over 25 years now, 
And God ministers every week, not only to the east side, but down at Carriagetown. We have ministries all over in the shadow of our church, people reaching out. We have his ministry right next door where every week hundreds of families receive food. We have Dylan where people uh, are mentoring and helping out. You see, that's what God has for us to do. We must get away from the rule keeping. We get, must get away from our comfort zone. We must get away from being superior and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? In just a little over a year, we're going to celebrate this church's 100th anniversary. Central Church can either end up like so many other churches and fade into the history books as one of those grand old churches. Or we can resist the spirit of the priest and the Levite and allow God's love to indwell us and empower us and flow through us. And if we do, I believe the best days for Central Church are still ahead of us. God bless you. We're going to receive the elements of communion at this time. And if those who are assisting would come, you do not have to be a member of this church to receive communion. You just have to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And today, as we receive these elements, I would ask each of us to ask God, how can we serve you better? What can I do to serve you? Amen. And God bless you.